Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Dr. Petra Dieter. She is a survivor of child abuse and domestic violence and is passionate about creating social impact to advocate for victims. She is a film director and a founder of the Victim to Hero Institute, so I'm sure she's got lots of great stories for us. Some topics might get a little bit heavy, so I'll just throw that disclaimer out there now, but I'm really excited for her to be with us today. So Petra, why don't you go ahead and say hello and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for having me here. I'm I'm really grateful. Uh, yeah, I um, as you mentioned, I'm I'm a victim of well, I should say survival. Victim is not the right word. Yeah, I'm a survival of child abuse and domestic violence, and that's why I feel very passionate about advocating for victims, and especially if you're talking about victims that are children. So that's why we created Victim to Hero Institute. Um, what we do at Victim to Hero Institute is we fight against parental alienation. I, I don't know if you heard of that term before, parental alienation. I did look it up in preparation for this, but why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, I I think, uh, unfortunately, there's not enough public awareness. And so people don't usually know what that term is. Uh, but if you explain it in a way that, let's say if there was a divorce or separation and then one of the parents will badmouth to the child about the other parent and try to destroy the relationship between the child and the other parent, then that's called parental alienation. And I mean, you see, like, for example, you have a couple of friends who break up, right? You you have to choose. You have to choose sides. You have to, you know, if you stay friends with the wife, you have to stop talking to the husband. Otherwise, she's going to get offended and vice versa, right? So... Unfortunately, the situation now you're talking about the children that the parents expecting them to choose side. And just because you stop loving the other person, it doesn't mean that your children should have to give up their other parent. And unfortunately, that's the situation with parental alienation. And when you talk about it like that, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I know of, you know, such and such situation. You know, I hear parents, you know, bad-mouthing about this and that. Um, it's, it's, it's very common, but people don't realize how serious it is. Uh, I mean, for example, in an extreme case this week, we talked to um, a father who lost three of his children. The mother killed the three children. Um, and then this is in Los Angeles. It just happened a few days ago. We just talked to the father and it, it's devastating. The, the mother killed his three children and then went on a hunt to look for him, uh, likely trying to kill him. But she and on the way, she hijacked a, a vehicle because she crashed her own vehicle because she was in a rush. And then eventually she got caught by the authority. So she's in custody right now. But I mean, it gets that serious to the point that it killed. You know, it kills people. It, you know, we have, um, you know, so many parents that lost their children because of murders due to parental alienation. And then you're talking about um, the sort of less tragic, you know, when you talk about children that got killed, people see it. People are like, oh, yeah, okay, that's really scary. But it doesn't have to get to that point for it to be serious. I mean, um, we represent a huge group of adult children, you know, people that were children that were subjected to parental alienation and now they are adults. And 
these people are suffering from so much um, consequences. The, the psychological damage is just so serious because you have spent a majority of your life uh, not only you know dealing with the the breakup of your parents, but also you listened to one of your parents. Um, and rejected another parent for the wrong reason. And then when you became adult and you realize that and you woke up to that and you go, oh my God, I was horrible to my mom or my dad, you know, because I listened to the other side. I mean, sometimes it's a parent, but sometimes it could be uh, the step parents that, that plays the, you know, the alienator role. Sometimes it could be the grandparent, you know, somebody. Um, and as children, children, don't know they they get easily influenced or brainwashed and so they will listen to this influence and they they sometimes will reject the other parent and then when they grow up you know there's uh trust issues problem relating to other people lack of self-confidence you know suicidal ideation um substance abuse all sort of problem it's very very serious and we're talking about um over, I think, 3.8 million children in America that are suffering from parental alienation from the severe to the, from the moderate to the severe level. And that's three times more than the number of children that suffer from autism. And I mean, we're talking about autism. People will understand that people know that. But when you're talking about parental alienation, no, nobody knows what that is. Um, and it, it's crazy. We're, we're talking about moderate to severe. We're not even talking about all the children are, that are subjected to alienating behaviors. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's why um, I created Victim to Hero Institute. We create um, programs that um, educate victims. So, you know, parents, alienated parents um, and children. So we bring in like forensic psychologists, uh, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, lawyers, um, scientists to come in and we have all these events that um, teach them about different aspects of parental alienation, you know, trying to understand the psychology behind it, understanding how to fight it in court, you know, how to deal with healing, things like that. So we have these events sort of a few times a week and um, we, and all of this is free. We have a book that just came out on Amazon that teach parents how to structure and document their case. Um, you know, if they have to fight this in court, things like that, we carry out research. So, um, you know, we doing, uh, for example, one of the research that we are almost completing is looking at um, compiling the number of children that have been killed due to uh, parental alienation. So the number of children murdered by one of the parents um, due to parental alienation. So um, things like that, you know, we have public awareness campaigns. So for example, on April 25th, we have a, a film festival that's open to the public. You know, it's free for everyone to watch. It's virtual festival. And we had over 600 film submission uh, for this festival that's dedicated to parental alienation. Uh, we have a campaign called Boundless Love uh, at Installations. So parents from around the world um, and grandparents or, you know, other people to uh, mail to us in Los Angeles hat cutouts so you know some hat cutouts are in plastic or some uh, paper and they decorate it and they write messages on it and they mail it to us and I'm hoping to collect a thousand of those and make that into an art installation 
So I'm hoping to make, you know, a seven foot tall art installation. And so, so far we got about 200 and well, about 800 short. So I'm, I'm hoping to get a whole thousand. Um, you know, we have a, a, another project called the Hero Songs Project, um, which is also a public awareness campaign for parental alienation. So we, um, we have parents submit their writing, you know, sometimes letters that they wrote to their children that never got delivered or, you know, um, maybe diaries that they wrote or poem or anything like that. And so they submitted those to us and we have artists around the world uh, writing songs based on those writings. So we have, you know, the top chart uh, hip hop artists in New Zealand among the Hero Song Project. We have an uh, alum of the American Idol singer songwriter. Um, we have some major artists on that. So I'm really excited about that. And, you know, um, all type of genres. We have country music, rock music. We have hip hop, like I mentioned. We have pop. Um, so, yeah, so that should be fun. We uh, we have a few songs already, and we're going to release some of them on April 25th because April 25th is the uh, Parental Alienation Awareness Day. So we're going to have a lot of those events. You know, like I mentioned, the film festival and then the uh, Hero Song Project, things like that. And then, um, so we talk about the the personal level, which is where we talk about the programs, you know, like I mentioned, um, bringing in the professional to teach parents and the support uh, groups and things like that. And then we'll talk about the public awareness level. And then we also working on um, the system level. So we lobby for law to change. So for example, uh, we recently pulled together 39 organizations around the world and lobbying for the bill right now. There's a bill in Texas called HB 2153. It's a bill that would introduce parental alienation as a form of child abuse. And um, so we are hoping um, it's, it's it hasn't got a hearing date yet. And what we're hoping is that it will get a hearing date. I mean, we've been meeting with uh, different House representatives and senators, and um, we we're still waiting to get a hearing date because uh, once it has a hearing date, we have so many victims that will be ready to testify. Um, we want the lawmakers to hear this story to understand the pain and the suffering and how serious and how real this problem is. So, you know, things like that. So we're working on um, solution on all different levels and we partner with a lot of organizations out there. And um, so, yes, these are some, some of the things that we're working on. Yeah. And it sounds like you've got your hands in a lot of different directions. And, you know, you asked if I knew what it was and kind of even like with your, your story is, I knew what it was, but I didn't know the term for it. Like, I, you know, was like, what exactly does this mean? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And then it was like, oh, that's what it means. And it was like that dawning moment. And then like, the follow up questions were like, is this illegal? And it was like, no, which, you know, so the fact that there is a bill in Texas kind of working to make things better is, is really good to hear. Yeah, it's, You'd be surprised that it's not illegal yet. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's serious. And there are parents that get murdered for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it gets really complicated. Like when you, you go to the cases that are really severe, um, there would be uh, a, an insane amount of false allegation. Because when it comes to one parent trying to destroy that relationship, at the end of the day, it's actually domestic violence. It's like, I want to get even with my exes, I wanted to do something to my ex, right? I want to control him or her and I want to, 
you know, make him or her miserable. So, you know, not only I'm trying to brainwash my child, I'm going to do stuff. You know, I will call the Child Protective Agency services claiming that he or she abused the child, or I call the police, or they will withhold the child against the custody order. They will, you know, go to court to try to file, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's so scary. Uh, we have parents that fighting this for decades, you know, people that spend millions of dollars. And you're, you're looking at people from old walk of life. You're looking at people that are broke. Uh, today, we're talking to people that are CEO of major public company, you know, very well accomplished people. We're talking about, you know, people all around the world. It's crazy how widespread this problem is and how serious, how damaging it is. Like parents that are uh, subjected to this, like the alienated parents, the targeted parents, they suffer from very serious form of, uh, well, I don't think PTSD is, is actually sufficient to describe it because, you know, PTSD stands for post-traumatic. Uh, well, this is nothing post about it. It's ongoing and it keeps coming and it keeps coming, right? So it's a complex form of PTSD, but it's like beyond that. So there's a the level of damage. And I mean, there's a study by Colorado State University in peer-reviewed journals that, and actually also from University of Tasmania in Australia, where they equate and they did research and they found that all the factors in this is equate to um, domestic violence. And then there's also so many studies out there that equate this to um, child psychological abuse. And there have been a study of over 6,000 children that show that psychological abuse is just as serious as physical or sexual abuse. And in fact, it can last longer than physical or sexual abuse. So it's, it's really serious. And Unfortunately, there's not enough law out there that recognizes as something that is illegal. And at the same time, there's a lot of misinformation out there that actually create things, uh, make things worse for the victim, that's silencing the victim. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Can you talk a little bit about how you got this institute started? Yeah, so you you did mention that I'm a filmmaker. So, you know, I started actually as a filmmaker and um, I was making film about different things. You know, I made all type of genre uh, from uh, crime action to comedy and, you know, Western, all type of things, right? And um, I have always kind of focused on something a little bit more serious. Actually, at one time I made a um, a comedy and my friends actually teased me and said, I think this is the first film you made that nobody died in it. You know, like every, every film, you know, like it's about domestic violence or child abuse or something. And then, um, and and part of this is because I am a, a victim of this as a child and now I'm an adult. And I realized that by the time that I realized that I had rejected my father for the wrong reason, it was too late because he already passed. So I never get to have that relationship with my father. I never get to reunite it with him. And it's devastating because I think children need both parents and you will always feel that part of homelessness, you know, that emotional homelessness. You don't have both. Um, and so anyway, I when I became aware of this and my father already passed, I decided to 
uh, make a, a documentary film about this. So I thought, oh, I'll talk to a few people and then, you know, put together a film, you know, like find people that have the same experience with me. And then uh, I was shocked because as soon as I put the words out there and said, hey, I want to make a film about this. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people contacted me and I'm going, oh my God, this is so much bigger than I thought, right? Uh, and by now we interview over 700 cases. Like we have the largest research database in the world to date for this subject matter. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll eventually I pick one case for this documentary film that we are still working on. And this case is, is one of those treasure case where it took... Um, so the father was an alienator in this case, and the father did everything he could to try to destroy the relationship between his son and the mother. So he will make up false allegations, he will withhold the child, he did all sorts of things, and we would have like audio recording of him screaming at the child, you know, your mother is a blah, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not going to go, but things like that. And like poor little child. And then we would hear like conversation where the child would talk to the mother and said, mom, please don't tell dad that I'm calling you, but I'm scared. He said he's going to kill you and I can't go to you and things like that, you know, and mother would turn up to pick up the child and the child like, no, 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 I can't go. And then the father turned up and the like, you know, look at the child and the child said, yeah, I hate you. And then the father turned away and the child would say, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. You know, and then the father, father turned around and again, the child's like, yeah, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. Right. You know, things like that. And you see how much the father has the influence on the child. And so this case went, for five years, the custody battle between the two parents, and it went through multiple courts, from family court to the criminal court. It went between um, multiple states, and it involves all type of agencies that you could think of. And we interviewed the police force. We're looking at all type of documents. And even the police officers said, this is the worst case of child brainwashing that I ever seen. And, and, you know, I called the Child Protective Agency and they told me that that's the wrong term to describe it. It's not child brainwashing, it's parental alienation. So it was recognized by everybody involved. And yet it took five years. And then eventually when it got to that day, uh, they went to court and finally the judge saw it. And the judge said, this is devastating. I cannot believe this is what you and your new wife is doing and the damage on this child is irreversible. I'm going to try to figure out how to solve this. I'm going to take tonight to think about it. And that night, the father killed the child. So this is a 10-year-old boy that had so much future ahead of him that was robbed from him. So it was devastating. So, so that's the film that I'm working on. But as I'm working on this film, I try to understand the subject matter. So I started to interview different experts. And then more and more parents talking to me and adult children talking to me. So that's why I thought, well, I don't want to wait until this film come out. And it's a 90 minute to, to two hours film max. And then that's it. You know, it's, it doesn't, it's not good enough to tell this whole thing. And that's why I thought, oh, I'll just create this thing. Uh, I'll, I'll just start a Facebook page. And then I started the Facebook page. And the next thing I know, you know, it's just, I start to share what I'm learning. I start to bring in experts and then it just grow from there. And I mean, uh, now I'll, I'll reach, I mean, I started this Facebook page just a few months ago, I think three or four months ago, I think in uh, end of November. And now our reach is over 80,000 people. And we just partner with someone uh, today and their reach is about 300,000 people. So, you know, 
uh, it's a huge problem, and we now definitely are committed to solving this problem way beyond just you know a documentary film. Yeah, that's really great to hear how it's taken off and how people are listening and and um, getting all of that information and. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be after April 25th, but all of those resources will be there. So we'll definitely make sure to put that information for the listeners here as well. So would you be willing to talk a little bit about your personal experience um, from when you were a child? Sure, uh, for sure. Um, I actually don't talk a lot about this. And I ha- I mean, I haven't talked about this before. I'm happy to share um, probably this is one of the first. Um, so my parents um, divorced and I grew up with my mother and I, for the longest time, uh, he was a monster. I, I had no idea why he was a monster, but I just repeated whatever my mother said. And yeah, he's a monster. I never stopped to examine that and go, what did he do that is so bad? You know, as a child, you was, and I just, you know, and that, you know, how horrible of him to leave her, break up with her. Um, so that clearly is indication that he abandoned me. You know, I never realized that she stopped him from being able to see me and that kind of things. And, and it was, it was devastating. Um, and then a lot of people think that when one parent tried to take the child and prevent the child from seeing the other parent is because that parent loves the child so much. Well, unfortunately, it's not the case because when you're looking at that family dynamic, it actually means that that person is abusive and they're doing it just because they want to damage or harm their ex. So the child is really just a weapon, not because they love the child so much. And that's unfortunately is the situation for me. Every day, um, my mother was extremely abusive. She, I, I learned very quickly um, in the early age. I remember, I remember learning very quickly is that if I could get to a corner, then the chances of big objects to hit me would be lower because, you know, the wall would kind of shelter me a little bit because she would throw and hit you. You're talking about chairs, table, metal objects, anything. And every day, there's never a day that I was not brutally beaten up. And by the time I was an adult and I went to Australia, I got a scholarship um, and I went to the doctor and the scar was still there. There's just permanent scar on my body. And so she was physically beating me up and it doesn't matter what it was. It either because somebody at work looked at her wrongly or said something wrong to her or the neighbors say something. It has nothing to do with me. Like I look back and I'm going and I used to. And that's the other thing when it comes to abuse, right? Um, Abuser will do multiple things. And when you're talking about domestic violence, um, the physical abuse is only just one layer of it. When you have a domestic violence situation, the abuse is beyond that physical abuse. It's always in the mind first. They always make the victim feel like um, the victim is not good enough, that's not worthy, and therefore they deserve the punishment, the, the, 
the male treatment. So she, I always thought, yeah, I'm a bad child, and you know, like I this, I that. And when I when I grew up, I look back, I'm going, what was it so bad about me that I got punished so badly? I mean, I was a straight A student. I was a school captain. I never swore. I never missed any school day. I did all the chore. I, you know, at six years old, I got a job so I could contribute it to the to the finance in the household. It's only her and me, and all this stuff. And I'm going, how is it that I got beaten up so badly? And so it it only took a lot for me to realize that it's not me. You know, it's it's um at some point. And that's the problem is a lot of victim of abuse don't realize that they are victim. And the sooner they can become aware that they don't deserve the treatment, it's not them, the sooner they can break out of it. Because if you don't break out of that, you will get stuck in the cycle of abuse. You will get into the wrong kind of relationship because you got used to be treated so poorly. And then you end up with just one relationship after another of with abusers and the problem is because of your attachment style like attachment style is such an important part of our psychology as we're growing up you know like we need to be securely attached to both of our parents and when that security is threatened when you grow up you're seeking attached wrong kind of attachment style and the thing is when you're looking at the cluster b uh, personality disorder you know the people that are abusive like for example narcissistic abuser that type of people, they will use things they call the love bombing. So when you are a victim, you are constantly seeking for, because you don't feel good enough, you're seeking for uh, some kind of validation, then you will fall into the trap of this narcissistic abuse because you know they will give you a little bit of attention and then you'll fall into it and then now you, you end up into those abusive relationships. And we'll see that a lot, a lot with of the parents out there. So yeah, so that was the situation with me when it comes to physical abuse. And then another thing was that she was very um, promiscuous. So every day she was being, bringing home someone. Um, and well, maybe not every day, let's just say three times a week or however, it just seemed very frequent. And unfortunately, at the time, we didn't have... Uh, the whole entire house is single room. You know, there's no like kitchen, bathroom. It, we were very poor. We were in Vietnam and there's only one single room. That's our entire house. You open the door and you walk in and that's it. And it's a very small room. So everything that was going on at night, uh, I was right there, you know. And then one day um, she left. She, she, this one night stand, she left to work. She got up, got up in the morning, went to work and left him there with me. And I was seven years old and he raped me. And it took me, I don't know how many years to finally be able to say that after so much therapy and to be able to finally, you know, speak up about that. But I mean, it's still hard to to be able to say it, but it's horrific. And um, it's not something that I kind of share a lot. I mean, even it took a lot for me to share with my husband now. Um, I think in the past, I don't think I really share with a lot of people. Um, I remember I share with, um, at the time I told her, 
um, after it happened. And she, she was so scared of being seen as a bad mother. So she punished me instead of, you know, like you would think that a mother, when you hear that, you should be taking your child to the doctor and asking if the child's okay or anything. Instead, she said that I lied, a seven years old line about being molested um, to her mother. Like I wasn't standing in front of court to try to benefit anything or, you know, any, you know, I, and so anyway, so she, she made me shut up and that I was not allowed to ever bring it up. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really horrific. So that's, that was my childhood. So I try very hard to figure out how to escape because I was just, you know, I was, I was miserable. So I very quickly, like there's a school in Vietnam at the time where you, um, it's, it's a national high school where, um, it's for specialized it's specialized in physics and it's for kids around the country and you can take uh, an exam and if you pass it, you can get into the school and you would get a scholarship and you would stay on campus. So I thought, wow, this is amazing. If I could just go there and not staying home, I would be safe. So, um, and it's for high school, but when I was sixth grade, I took the exam and I failed. Seventh grade, I tried again, I failed. And eighth grade, I tried again and I passed. So I never took, um, you know, I went straight to high school from year eight, even though um, I didn't take year nine. Um, so then I went to that high school and I stay on campus. And then as soon as I finished high school, I got a scholarship and I went to Australia and sort of escaped from there. Um, I mean, it's just really horrible. And then, I mean, you try so hard, um, even when you're dealing with abusive people in your family, you try so hard to not to protect the abusers because that's a, what they call trauma bonding like in an abusive abusive relationship the abuse um the victims usually trying to protect the abusers because um just in psychology that's just the natural dynamic of it and yeah so i try so hard to protect my mother and still you know i went to australia i was still sending all of my money home to to vietnam at the time and everything and you know, brought her to travel the world and everything. And then I became an adult. I had my own children. She still beat me up. And I sponsored her green card to America to come and live with me. She still beat me up. Um, she's, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's never stopped. And the abuse still continue today in other forms. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all of that. I know that that was very difficult and that's something you do very often so, you know, you grew up in Vietnam, you got out to Australia. What has the different cultures in life been like for you? Yeah, I I really loved that that I get to go to Australia. Um I found growing up in Vietnam, I found it very difficult. I think it was a very difficult culture because there's a lot of things that were stacked against me. I was a, a girl, like it's a culture they prefer men. Men has a lot more value. Um, I was from a broken family in Vietnam at the time. There's a lot, not a lot of divorces. So they call me, you know, child out of wedlock, even though, you know, my parents were married at one point. 
but they still call me a child of wedlock. Uh, I am not sort of quite Vietnamese, so I don't look quite the same. So again, that's so and discriminated against me. I have a different skin color than most of the Vietnamese and you know, things like that. I look kind of different. So a lot of discrimination against me. And I mean, the discrimination even happened at home. So, you know, my grandparents uh, on my mother's side, um, you know, my grandma, every time people turning up to my house, um, and they saw me and they would say, hi, something, right? Then my grandma would immediately interrupt them and say, no, no, no. She is the daughter of my daughter, meaning she's not in the bloodline. So ignore her. Here is a child that is in the bloodline. You know, look at this. This is, the, you know, my grandson who is the son of my son. So therefore, here, pay attention. You know, like every time someone turned up, that there, there have to be that qualification. Like she made sure that it's clear. And when it comes to dinner, like if we have uh, extended family dinner, it's the same thing because I'm the daughter of a daughter. Um, other people need to be served first and I cannot touch any food until other people have taken what they wanted. You know, I have to be last. So the discrimination really applied in all levels. And I definitely didn't get that culture. I found it very difficult when people felt like they, uh, everyone had a say in what you can do and what you should do. Um, you know, everybody felt like they, they have a say. And and when I went to Australia, that it was so liberating because, you know, everyone's equal. Um, you know, you could express yourself, you know, and, and uh it's just it's amazing. I loved it. It's um and the culture was very open, you know, there's this thing called multicultural at the time that they really pushing the concept, you know. And so I felt really a part like welcome as a part of that community. Um I remember I was the first or the only Vietnamese student that I knew at the time in my school, but I didn't feel at all isolated or different or anything, you know. Um, so I love that culture. Um, and then later I came here, it, I feel the same thing. I felt like really a part of the community. I don't feel sort of isolated or anything like that. Yeah. That's great that it's, it's you've at least gotten a path uh, to get out and um, to have a little bit more acceptance and uh, just better things going on. Yeah, I, I definitely am grateful for where I am. Um, it hasn't been easy, but yes, I definitely love, um, and I mean, right now with the work that I do, I love the community, um, around me because, you know, these people that have gone through so much pain and loss, um, they are so, um, I think those are the most compassionate people, actually. The people that have lost the most are the most giving people. So I feel really supported, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Now, so you're working on this movie and you've got this institute. When the movie comes out, what's the plan for that and after the fact? Um, we have a number of movies, actually, um, in in what do you call it, on Slate. So we have that. We have um, three others that we planned that are sort of in what they call pre-production. And then we have uh, two more. Is that right? Total of six. So two more is what they call the concept stage. So we have six in total. Um, I'm not entirely sure yet as to um, what we're going to do in terms of the distribution. 
um, we do have, like I said, an audience, um, our own audience, and we have the community of partners that could help. So there's a chance that we will sell um, distributing this, but we might be looking out for distributors. I, I don't know yet. Um, and then, yeah, we have those films, obviously, that we're going to get on and working on it. So this film, we film about 70% of it so far. And we still have to go to Florida. Hopefully, we're going to go to Florida in a few weeks, in, in May, uh, to film the rest of it. And then um, and then we'll go into what they call post-production in a film, which is when you put the film together and, you know, uh, fix the sound and editing and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, that probably takes few more months so hopefully um we really gonna want to make sure that the film come out before the end of the year um and then the same and then we'll get on with other films but we have i mean so much planned for this um with all this work there's so much to do because really um we're looking at a major system change that's what needed for the victims and i mean you think about like for example smoking right it took a very very long time for people to recognize that smoking causes lung cancer i mean for the longest time people were smoking inside the house smoking inside the shop smoking everywhere and nobody cares and you know everybody thinks it's okay right it took a very long time and so we're talking about things like that you know and for the longest time People think that corporal punishment is okay for children. So, you know, you, I, I know you're young, so you don't probably have that experience. But a lot of us uh, would remember going to school where the teacher will have a ruler. And if you say or do something wrong, the teacher will slap you with the ruler on your hand. You would have to lay your hand out and the teacher will spank you with this ruler, right? I mean, there's no way we see that today, right? I mean, that would go into totally child abuse and this teacher would probably go to jail for that, right? So, and that's the thing is it took, a long time for that kind of um, society recognition and acceptance, and it's for the good, right? So it took a long time for that to happen, and we're talking about the same thing. To push for parental alienation to be recognized as a form of child abuse is going to take a long time, and we'll, we'll prepare for that. So we have a lot ahead of us, yeah. Yeah, Ben, you know it's a long road, and you know it sounds like you're you're willing to tackle it head on. We're trying. <laughs> it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, but we're trying. Definitely. Yeah. So before we start to wrap everything up, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners that I might not know to prompt with a question? Well, I I would say that I think there's a lot of parents out there or people out there, even um, you know, people that experience parental alienation as children may not recognize what it is. So I hope that if they do recognize it now, we'd love to hear from them because, you know, we want to hear everybody's stories. We want to um, to see if, if we can help and we want to see if you want to be a part of this movement. We want to raise public awareness and we want to, you know, to reach out to a bigger community. So definitely, you know, anyone out there that hear about this and feel that this is something that resonates with them, we want their support and we want we want them to be a part of this. Great. Yeah. And that definitely they will be able to do that. I'll make sure all the info is available for them. Now, with all of my guests, before I close it all out, I ask a random question. So like nothing relating to anything we've talked about so far. Um, my question for you is going to gonna be weird because why not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, let's go for it. 
So what do you think about clowns? Clowns. You know, I never seen a clown in Vietnam when I was growing up. I don't think we had it back then. Uh, I don't know. And then when I uh, came to Australia, I was an adult, so I kind of missed that boat. And then now I'm an adult, and in the film industry, a lot of my friends are making film, like horror films about clowns, you know, the clown attack and the clown that will kill us. So it's kind of funny. Um, I think clowns are scary and dangerous now. No, I don't think that way. But I mean, I mean that's how they depicted by my my filmmaker friends. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really have a lot to say about them. Would you ever make a movie about clowns? Oh, you never know, right? And now that you planted that seed in my head... <laughs> <laughs> You'll never know, right? All right, that brings this episode to a close. As I've mentioned, I will be leaving links in the description. So the Victim to Hero website will be there. And of course, from there, you can find their Facebook page, which they're very active on, and the mailing list to get more information. So of course, Victim to Hero, the victims can be their own hero, and there will be additional information as well. And so I encourage you to go check them out, learn more, be informed. And if you have a story to share, feel free to reach out to them. And of course, if you'd like to connect with the podcast, all of that information is in the description as well. Our website will take you to our social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and we have a Patreon page for monetary support. And I'd love to connect with you. So my email is also in the description and I'm always excited to hear from new guests. So thank you so much, Petra, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next week, bye. Thank you so much, Sarah. I mean, I, I didn't expect it to get so emotional, but I appreciate you for this opportunity to share my story. Thank you.